uh, for that. Now, I'm pretty sure I'm not the only person in this room today or the only person watching online today that cannot believe that Christmas has come and gone already. Can I get an amen to that? And the older we get, the faster time goes. And someone offered this. I read this the other day. Someone offered this reason for why uh, the older we get, the faster time goes. If we're like seven or eight years old, right, one December to the next December is a pretty big chunk of someone's life, right? So if you're seven years old and one year is one-seventh, that's approximately, what, 15%. Aha, I do know math, right? And so, am I right? Mrs. Richardson's back. Am I, I'm close. Okay, I'm in the ballpark. About 15%, right? And so uh, that's a big chunk of a, of a seven or eight-year-old's life, right? But let's just say we're a little bit older. Oh, I don't know. Let's throw out a round number like, say, 55, right? Which just happens to be my age. Time tends to drag on because from December to December, one year of a person that's 55 is a much smaller chunk of that life, and so it, it goes a whole lot faster. Does that make sense? I don't know if it's scientifically proven or not, but it makes sense to me, okay? Regardless of the reason why time goes so fast, I agree with my dad who always used to say, now get to, you might want to write this down, life is like a roll of toilet paper. The closer you get to the end, closer you get to the end, faster it goes, right? My dad was a wise, wise man, and so... <laughs> He only went to the eighth grade. He had to quit school to help raise his sisters, but uh, he, he was full of those kind of nuggets, all right? And so we sit here, and, and Christmas is, is over, uh, and, uh, and I got to say, I'm impressed by the crowd here this morning. I had in my mind, okay, Christmas is over. This is New Year's. People are sick. People are traveling. They don't really want to be. And this is a really good crowd. I saw some, some of you have thrown me off today because you had to sit on this side of the room instead of this side of the room. And that's, that's something to be thankful for. But here we sit. Christmas is over. A few pounds heavier. Uh, a new year starts tomorrow. And this is a time when we kind of talk about that newness. Tom has already alluded to it in the communion meditation, right? It's a time of newness. A lot of us are sitting out here maybe today wearing new clothes that they received as Christmas gifts. Maybe some of you have got that new Apple Watch or something like that, or maybe new shoes, or maybe a new diamond that you received for Christmas, or maybe Maybe you came in that new car in your new clothes to your new church, East Columbus Christian Church. Who knows? I don't know. But while New Year's is a good time to think about newness, it's also a great time to look back. It's a great time to look back and see some of the blessings, the incredible blessings that God has given to us. And that's why I think it's altogether fitting when we sing a song like Gratitude, we throw up our hands. What, have we, what can we give back? That's pretty small in comparison to what he has given to us. And so we look back on some things that God has done for us. And so in our year, our year in review, I haven't, I, don't, I haven't done this for a long time, but I, I feel like it's fitting today uh, to, to review our mission, number one, because it's important for us to review uh, our mission. Right? We need to look at our mission statement. We unveiled a new mission statement a couple years ago, and I think it's important for us as individuals, it's important for us as staff, it's important for our leadership, our elders, to look at our mission and see how we're doing. 
All right. In other words, why are we even here? Why are we doing what we're doing? Here's, here's our mission statement. I've put it in the handout for you. Uh, and, and probably, I don't know, you, you probably haven't committed this to memory, but I think it would be wise to, or at the very least, take this outline with you home today and, and keep it somewhere where you see it on a regular basis. Here is the statement. A community of followers devoted to serving all people through the good news of Jesus Christ. That is our mission as a church. That's what we are all about. You know, and, and it's pretty easy. We can break it down into three, three parts, right? The first part is this. We are a community of followers. And we throw that word community around a lot. But what does that mean? We look at Merriam-Webster's definition. And it says, a unified body of individuals or a group of people with a common characteristic or interest living together within a larger society. And so that's, here's what that means to us. We are a group of people that are doing our best to live in unity within this larger society we know as the world, right? As the old saying used to go when I was growing up, I heard this a lot in the church. My parents used to say it all the time. You are to be in the world, but not of the world, right? And so we have this, this task, this mission of living in this world because God placed us here, but we have to be careful not letting the world suck us into some of the things that, that the world would love to see us as Christians do. And so uh, our, our goal is, is to live within unity, within this community, not to be standoffish, not to say, oh, we're so much better than the world is, but to win the world to Jesus Christ. Our goal should be to go to heaven and take as many people with us as possible when we go. And so that is a common characteristic, right? That's a common goal of ours, to love as much like Jesus as possible, and that's how we're going to win people to Him. It's pretty much the Great Commission. We look at Matthew chapter 28, verse 20, right? These are the last words that Jesus said before He left earth. Someone said, you want to know what's important to a person? See what their last words are, right? You ever been around a loved one who's called the family to the side and said, hey, I want you to remember these things. These are the last words. These are important. Just before Jesus ascended into heaven, these are the last words He said in Matthew 28, verse 20. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and the Son, the Holy Spirit, teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I've given you, and be sure to this, I am with you always to the very end of the age. This, this is what community is about. This, this is what the community here at ECCC should be about. We are a community of followers. We're not just Christians. We're were followers. A few years ago, I remember talking in a sermon about how God has called us to be more than just Christians because today, in today's society, being a Christian today does not mean the same thing that it meant 2,000 years ago. I see people all the time. I see athletes. I see politicians. I see celebrities. They claim to be Christian, but yet their lifestyle doesn't back it up. There's a lot of people who say, I'm a Christian but I don't know if they're necessarily followers. And when we look at the New Testament, when we look at the book of Acts, the Bible says the believers, the followers of Christ were first called Christians at Antioch. 
It was other people who slapped that label on us. It wasn't Jesus who said, I want you to be Christians. Jesus said, I want you to follow me. And you say, well, Ron, that's a little nitpicky, isn't it? And that just splitting hairs, a little matter of semantics? Maybe, but in our world today, the label of Christian is placed on so many people whom I doubt are seriously following Jesus. And so I don't want to be lumped in with casual Christians. I would rather someone say he's a follower of Jesus. I want my actions to back up what I say I believe. It kind of reminds me of the story of a pompous looking Sunday school teacher one Sunday morning. He's trying to impress this class of young boys, right? And he's talking about the importance of living a Christian life. And so he's got this real condescending uh, stature and this condescending voice. He says, now why do you suppose people call me a Christian? And there was a pause and a little boy raised his hand and said, maybe it's because they don't know you. You know? Uh, See, that's what we, we think that we as Christians, we, we've got to play these certain games. We've got we to gotta wear Christian t-shirts and we've got to wear the bracelets or the necklace or the, or the bumper sticker on our car, whatever the case may be. But we just need to be, and those things aren't wrong, but I tell you what, if you're wearing those things or sticking those things on your car, you better be backing up what you say you believe. We can't just slap a label on us. And, and then go act like we want to act. And that's what being a community of believers, a community of followers here at this place should be all about. And we need to be devoted to serving all people. That's the next thing, right? We are a community of followers devoted to serving all people. Now, I want to ask you a question this morning. I want you to be very honest. This is a rhetorical question, so don't shout out your answer to me. Ask yourself this. How good of a job am I doing at serving all people? Because here's where I find myself sometimes. I serve some people sometimes. Our mission as a church, we decided a few years ago, is to be devoted to serving. Not just a once-in-a-while service project that we get around to occasionally. Our attitude should be on a daily basis, how can I serve? What can I do to show my Lord that I want to serve other people, that I want to serve Him by serving other people? And notice that our mission statement says, all people, not just some. Not just the ones that look like us, live like us, vote like us, act like us, dress like us, all of these things, right? I think we have this tendency to look at people and say, oh, yeah, yeah, they'd be a good fit for our church. Right? Yeah, they'd be a good fit for our church. And we think about inviting them to our church instead of saying, this person needs to be in the kingdom. This person is lost, and they need to know Jesus. Scripture commands us to serve all people. And sometimes we think, man, I'm not sure I can do that. You know? You don't understand how dirty that person is. You don't understand what that person smells like. You don't understand what that person has done and what they are capable of doing again. I'm so thankful that Jesus didn't 
look at us and turn to the Father and say, I'm not sure I want to do that because you don't understand. God, Father, I don't know if you understand just how much that guy stinks. I don't think you understand what they've done. I'm glad that Jesus didn't look at the Father and say, that person is a stench to me because they've done so many horrible things. I'm so glad that he was willing to come as a baby over 2,000 years ago, take on human flesh. That in and of itself is the most humiliating thing that he did. The most humbling thing that he did was to leave heaven and come down here and wrap himself in flesh only to eventually die on a cross. I've heard some commentators say that this was the most painful part of the crucifixion of Jesus. Was that when his father, the Bible says his father turned his back on him. His father couldn't even look at him. Right? He lays down his life and the stench of all that sin was placed upon him. And it was so bad. And God cannot stand the sight of sin. That's why he sent Jesus. But it was so bad. He couldn't even look at his own son. He had to turn away. Jesus himself said, my God, my God, why, why have you abandoned me or why have you forsaken me, some translations say. And you need to understand that for all of eternity past, Jesus was with the Father, was with the Holy Spirit, the three in one, never separated until that moment. And if Jesus was willing to serve us, if Jesus was willing to do that, if he was willing to put on the stench of our flesh and be devoted to us, devoted to the point of going to the cross and dying for us, where do we get off saying, oh, no, I, uh, uh, they're, mm, they're too dirty. I don't like what they've done. I don't like how they smell. I'm telling you the distance in goodness between us and Jesus is far greater than the distance in goodness between us and somebody down here. I don't care how bad they are. And if Jesus was willing to go through all that for us. So we're a community of followers devoted to serving all people through the good news of Jesus Christ, right? The good news of Jesus Christ. That's why we do what we do. It's because of the gospel. That's what gospel means. Gospel means the good news. If we ever have any motivation for doing what we're doing other than reaching people with the gospel, then we might as well stop. We might as well close the doors. I've said this before. The gospel is what sets us apart from other civic organizations that serve in our world. The book of Romans, Paul says this. I'm not ashamed of the good news of Jesus Christ. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It's the power of God at work. That's the power, guys. It's not in a worship song that we might like. It's not in the children's program or the youth program. It's not in new buildings or anything like that. The power is in the gospel of Jesus Christ, and it has the power to save anyone who believes. Listen to what it says. It's the power of God at work saving everyone who believes, the Jew first and also the Gentile. The good news tells us how God makes us right in his sight. Because, see, we weren't right, but now we have the opportunity to be right because of what Jesus was willing to do for us. No other institution in this world has that message. And so we've got to be devoted to it. The church has to be devoted to the gospel. Billy Graham, 
had this to say about the gospel. It says, the gospel shows people their wounds and bestows on them love. It shows them their bondage and supplies the hammer to knock away their chains. It shows them their nakedness and provides them garments of purity. It shows them their poverty and pours into their lives the wealth of heaven. It shows them their sins and points them to the Savior. And so in our efforts to be this community of followers, devoted to serving all people through the gospel, through the good news of Jesus, I think it's important to take a look at how we did last year. Right? This is what we're about. How have we done that? Now, these are just some figures that I'm going to throw out to you that's not a total indication of how we've done. But uh, it, is, it is a good, uh, I guess, a good thermometer to check and see what, what we've been doing, right? Uh, this past August, uh, with the deck stacked against us, we began the school year in a new wing. And I would say that's a big success because that was and that, we wasn't sure if that was going to happen or not. Uh, I can remember 19 years ago when I came, we still owed a million and a half dollars on the old wing that we had, which was the new wing at that time, right? That was we still owed a one and a half million dollars 19 years ago, and it didn't seem like we'd ever get that paid off. But thanks to the consistency and the generosity of dedicated individuals in this church and in this school and people like John Marklin. John, I hope you're watching today. I, I can never underscore score enough just how important you were and your keen business sense was uh, to help getting that chipped away and chipped away and chipped away until that was paid off. Not long after that was paid off, we started making plans to expand. The expansion was going to benefit the church and the school. Now understand, in the middle of a pandemic, we're having a discussion about a building program. I'm going to go out on a limb and say there wasn't a whole lot of churches doing that. You know, Some people thought we'd lost our minds. There's a committee still looking into that just to see if, if we have or not. But I think God was calling us to step out on faith. And God, I've always believed that we are supposed to attempt something so big that if God's not in it, it's going to fail. And I want to stand before you today and say God's been right in the middle of this whole thing. I believe that with all my heart. Not only were we able to complete the building project, we've seen some pretty amazing things since then. In the 19 years that I've been here, I've not seen an enrollment as large as what we have right now. And that's just on this campus. That's not counting the 100 plus that we have down at North Vernon. That's a God thing, folks. I will also add that in my time here, I'm witnessing more people coming into our services on a Sunday morning because they came to the school first. There have been people who have come to our school that were not churched. And some of you are sitting out there today because you were first introduced to this church because of the school. Goodness, half our worship team was that way today, so praise God for that. I tell my minister friends all the time that our church attendance right now is somewhere in the neighborhood of 40 to 50, maybe 60, depending on whether you're doing a Charlie count or a Ron count. Um, 40 to 50 people higher than we were pre-pandemic. And I tell other people that, other preachers are like, what? How? It's just a God thing, right? 
When I tell people that there are many Sundays that when we sing that last worship song and the children leave for children's church, there's 35 to 40 kids. And that's not a preacher count. That is a Charlie Swaim authenticated account. 35 to 40 kids that are here in church on Sunday morning going to children's church. Guys, it wasn't all that long ago that our children's church numbers were single digits. And now we're having 35 and 40, you know. And, and when, when, man, I got to tell you, it just warms my heart when we get done with that last song and there's that mass exodus following Lauren out like she's the Pied Piper, right? And they're just following her out and, and following her down. That, man, that's amazing. In fact, we were talking about this not long ago um, in a staff meeting. Uh, Lauren said, yeah, we only, only had 30 kids today. Like only 30, you know, only. It, like we were down to that. And that's amazing, right? I think God's doing an amazing thing right in our midst. And I believe it's because we've been faithful. We've done some hard things, right? Here are a couple of even more amazing numbers that I believe go hand in hand with all this other stuff I've talked about so far. In 2023, we had 47 new members here in our church. Of those 47, 25 were baptisms. That's worth praising God for, church. It's truly been an incredible year, and it's really nothing anybody can take credit for. I wish I could stand up here and say, man, I've been preaching some yeah, a really good sermon, you know, or, or uh, you know, that like we've got a rock star children's man. I mean, she does all right. But, you know, uh, or, 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 you know, Spencer is like the next Brandon Lake or something. You know, I wish I could say, I mean, they do great. But even if it was that, if God's not in it, guys, it's not going to be successful no matter how good people might think you are. I think it's because we've got a group of people here who are really trying to follow him. I think it's because we've got a church full of people who really want to know Jesus, who really want to make him known. I think it's because we've got a group of elders who've committed themselves to prayer and to service. They haven't been afraid to make some tough calls whenever necessary. I think it's because I've been blessed with an amazingly talented team. I knocked on them a little bit, but they are incredibly talented and they love Jesus. And so it's exciting to see what God's doing here. But what about, you know, we're talking about all these new ones. What about us old ones? Take that however you want, right? Not old necessarily. But those who are already here. Well, whether you're old or new or whatever, I believe that right now it's important to review our lives, right? So we reviewed the mission statement. We reviewed our successes. Talked about, you know, maybe some things we didn't do all that great or alluded to them. Didn't go into detail. That's not necessary. But we haven't done everything right. There's some people that are not worshiping here anymore because of we didn't do, we probably didn't do something right. We've made mistakes, right? Some people have left. And it breaks my heart. I hate, I hate to see people leave our church. But we're doing our best. And, and so I think it's, it's important to take some time as, as individuals to review our lives, right? At the beginning of, of a year or at the end of, of a year is a great time to look at your own life and say, all right, what is it now in my life? What, what was it that I thought was so important 
that I just, in January, that I thought I just absolutely had to do, and now here I am in December, the year's over, and like, well, it really wasn't all that big a deal. Has anybody, anybody been there, right? January, we start off with all of these new resolutions, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read the Bible more. I'm going to lose weight. I'm going to get serious about my studies. I'm going to, I'm going to read more books. I'm going to, I'm going to quit smoke and I'm going to go to church more, etc. And that's, those are all great things, you know, stick to those things. But we started the sermon today talking about how fast time flies. And I found this quote that goes something like this. The bad news is that time flies. The good news is you're the pilot. You get to choose the direction you want to go in most cases. I understand there are some things that happen that are beyond your control, but you get to choose your response. You get to choose what you're going to do about it. We like to say that God is our pilot. We used to say God is our co-pilot, but then somebody smarter than us came up and said, well, if God's your co-pilot, you need to change seats. <laughs> you know, that's great. True. Right? But if God were really your pilot, would you have found yourself in some of the situations you found yourself in this year? <laughs> maybe, maybe, but a lot of times, a lot of times we have self-inflicted um, wounds, you know. Again, you can't help always what happens, but some of it you can, Right? I just want to ask you, by a show of hands, how many of you have your act completely together? How many of you have given God the controls 24-7, 365? Go ahead and raise your hand if you're one of those people. Go ahead. Put it on up there. Before you put your hand up, let me remind you last week, the sermon on humility versus pride. Remember that? Okay. <laughs> Not a single one of us have it all together. Not a one of us. But we get to choose every day what we're going to do about it. Every single day. Here's what Joshua said. Joshua chapter 24, beginning in verse 15. But if you refuse to serve the Lord, then choose today whom you will serve. Would you prefer the gods your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates? Or will it be the gods of the Amorites in whose land you now live? And then Joshua said, here's what I'm going to do. Those are my words. Me and my family's going to serve the Lord. Now, for us, it would probably go something like this. If Joshua were talking to us, but if you refuse to serve the Lord, then choose this day whom you will serve. Will you serve the gods of this world? Will it be yourself? Will it be money? Will it be pleasure? You see, there are a lot of different things that are competing for our allegiance. There's a lot of different things in our lives that have become gods to us. We put so many things ahead of him. I've had people tell me, well, I can't, I can't, and, and I don't like preaching on money. I'll hand at it every once in a while, and I will next year, so I know you're excited about that. But I hear people say, I can't give an offering. I just got too many bills to pay. And I understand that, but why do you have too many bills? Often it's because we're trying to fill something in our lives that will, we think will bring us gratification. So my advice to you, if you find yourself that way, work on getting those things paid off and get to a point where you can show God how much you appreciate, how much you trust Him, right? 
well, we can't come to church regularly because of this reason or that reason. But hey, when I get a chance to come, I will. But then something comes up. And we say, well, I'm just not going to make it today. I'll just catch it later online. And don't get me wrong, our online service, I love it. It's an absolute necessity. If you're watching online, I love you. Keep watching online, so don't take it this way. But some people just can't get here, and that's partially why we have the online uh, service. But I don't believe online worship can replace the gathering of God's people on a Sunday morning. It's nice to have but it's not a substitute for what, called, what God has called us to do. And a lot of our folks who watch online, they probably wish they could be with us every Sunday morning. But for some reason or not, they can't. And that's when you and God, right? I, we don't have church police running around going, you could be here today, but you're not, right? I remember there was a guy in our, this was long before the internet. There was a guy in church in North Vernon, um, I'm not going to mention his name because some of you might know him, but, but um, his wife was really worried about him. said, I, uh, I, uh, <clears throat> I'm worried that he won't come to church. He says he believes, but he won't come to church. Could you drop by and visit him? I said, yeah, I'll come by and visit him. So, so I, I dropped by, and I called him by name. We sat there and visited for a while. And, and then I finally said, hey, what, what is it? What, why don't you come to church? He goes, well, Ron, he goes, you don't, know, you don't understand. He goes, my back really hurts. And sitting in those old church pews, man, they just really tear up my back. Now, I don't know if it was the stupidity of my youth or if it was the Holy Spirit. But I said, don't I see you at the ball games about every Friday night sitting on those hard bleachers? And when the game goes overtime, you don't even leave whenever it goes up, you know. And then I waited for the, get out of my house. <laughs> he, he didn't miss a, a Sunday after that, right? And, and sometimes people need to be lovingly shown the truth and, and say, there's a better, a better way to do things, right? And, and it's just between, it's between you and God, right? I, I, I'm not going to. I'm going to be accountable for what I'm teaching you. I am not going to stand before the Lord and give an account for your actions, for your response. I'm only accountable for what I'm teaching you. And so one of my favorite psalms comes from chapter 139, verses 23 and 24. This is my encouragement to you as the worship team comes up here. It says, it says, search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me. And know my anxious thoughts. Point out anything in me that offends you and lead me along the path of everlasting life. When was the last time you sat down and you renewed your life and you said to God, God, I want you to point out anything in me that offends you? I think that's a necessary prayer if you want to be a devoted follower of Jesus. We're going to sing a song of decision, but before we do, I'm going to ask you to, to just stay seated for now. Um, and I want you to just kind of bow your heads, and I want you to close your eyes. And I want you to spend a few minutes praying that dangerous prayer. <laughs> God, show me. Show me what it is uh, 
that offends you. And then follow that up by saying, give me the courage to change that, to stop that. Just bow your heads right now.